1: a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Tony Weaver Jr. is a 27-year-old CEO. He is the founder of weird enough productions where among many other things, they created a comic strip called the uncommons, a comic series that um, features a group of superheroes. that focuses on inclusivity representation. He is living. The, this is a word that I used multiple times in this because it's a word that I feel like describes Tony really well. He does what he does very intentionally. He's not like me. I'll write a song and I'll just be like, Oh, I'm going to write a song. I don't know what it's about. There's a song. I don't know what happened. I was in a fog and I can't speak to his process. Although he does describe it a little bit during our discussion, but I do know that what he does, he does it with great care. It's so surprising to hear so much wisdom coming out of a 27-year-old, and yet here he is, Tony Weaver. He's really special. I'm so glad that I got to speak with him for Wheels Off. I'm so excited to hear what he does next. The series of memoir-ish, middle-grade graphic novels, I think, that he's making right now called Weirdo. It's going to be very cool. I'm so excited to have Tony be a part of Wheels Off. Please welcome to Wheels Off, Tony Weaver Jr. Welcome to Wheels Off, Tony Weaver Jr. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, thank you for having me. This is great. And so for the edification of our listeners, uh, where are you joining me from? Uh, I am based in Atlanta,
0: Georgia. Atlanta's where, where I'm hanging my hat right now.
1: Born and raised here. Speaking of hats, you've got a really great baseball cap on right now.
0: Yes, it's my lucky hat. It's my my Mount Lady hat. It's a character from uh from an anime that I watch called My Hero Academia. She has horns. Um and uh I, I saw the hat with horns on it. I was like, I need that. That's I I I have to have it. One of my friends gave it to me as a gift. She was I saw her holding it and I was like, where'd you get that? And she's like, I don't want it. You can have it. Little did
1: she know. Little did she know. One one man's trash is another man's treasure. Exactly. Uh so what current project are you working on right now, Tony? And how does it light you up?
0: I'm working on so many, and I think that's what keeps me kind of energized. So uh I'm currently working on a book series called Weirdo. Uh and Weirdo is a kind of is a middle grade graphic novel series, uh slightly memoir-esque, but also with some with some fictionalized elements. Uh, is really focused on talking about some of the complicated uh, components of adolescence, what it means uh, to grow up in a very technology-saturated world. I think that for young people, especially young people today, the process of navigating uh, self-esteem, bullying, friendship development, it all looks a little different today. And that's really what what the intent uh, for for Weirdo is to kind of be a uh, be be a positive beacon of light for young people that are experiencing those sorts of things. Um, I'm also working on a series called The Uncommons uh, that I've been writing for the last few years, and The Uncommons tells a story of a group of unlikely outsiders that have to save each other to save the world. Uh, I really love it, and uh, we're, we're in the process of trying to get it uh, adapted uh, into an anime. So that takes up a bunch of my time. And I got a bunch of other things that are kind of working in the back of my head as well, uh, but those two are the ones where I'm
1: spending majority of my time right now. I wonder because I, from what I know about you, you do so much that is essentially creative, but you also do so much that is, um, you know, managerial, business, CEO. Like you're, you're really hands on in all these different aspects of the of your industries. And I just wonder, like, how do you balance that? Like, well, what, what's more fun for you? How do you, how do you make it work? I think that the
0: creative stuff has always been more fun for me. Uh, but the thing about creation for me, is that I create under very specific circumstances. Uh, so for example, I was up until maybe four o'clock last night and, uh, I can stay up until four o'clock in the morning and sleep until whenever I feel rested and I'm up and ready to go. Like who, who's going to check me? Who's going to be like, <laughs> no, you need to be in the office at nine o'clock. <laughs> no, you can't. Cause, cause I'm the CEO. I make the hours, right? I'm able to build a team and build a work environment that supports my peak creative mode. Uh, and the benefit from that is so much that I'm willing to put in the effort on more of the CEO and managerial parts. Uh, I enjoy the business stuff, but I enjoy it because of the impact that it's able to have. When you have uh, complete autonomy and control over your work and how that work gets implemented creatively, then it gives you a very unique opportunity that a lot of creators don't have. Uh, so I get to pick my team. Um I, I we we put out a job listing for a full time artist to work on the Uncommons, and we got over three hundred applications in the first week. And I went through each one of those portfolios one by one. Um, having that level of control allows me to meticulously create an environment that supports my team and myself as we kind of make what we want to make.
1: I bet the uh, people that applied for that job were so grateful that you did that. You could easily have handed it off to uh, an intern or somebody else, but you went through each one of those. That's really cool. And we got a bunch of emails about
0: it. We we got a bunch of emails about it as well. Some of the some people were emailing because they thought it was a scam. They're like full time <laughs> artists as a startup, and I'm like honestly that's good to me. I'm glad. I'm glad that what we are offering uh, feels so above the norm that you're like, "Mm, something must be wrong with this, because that's another thing that the business end allows me to do. It kind of allows me to place my own value on creative capital and support people in the way that uh, I think they deserve to be supported. And I'm hoping that that uh, creates some industry shift and change as well.
1: It's funny. I feel I've got so many friends that are writers and illustrators and, um, you know, journalists. And I feel like there's a movement within the old guard to devalue the work of artists and, you know, uh, journalists and people, people who are basically willing to do what they do for free. And and now these industries that are having a harder and harder time, they're like, we're going to, we, are you willing to do it for free? We'll give you a byline. We'll give you credit. And the fact that you're willing to go out there and you know, pay somebody a good wage to do art—that's fantastic. The science of monetization,
0: uh, when it comes to media, is in such a it's in such a terrible place right now. <laughs> um, I think that we we kind of have reached a place where, in most circumstances, the way that media outlets and creative industries monetize is in direct opposition to what allows it to be created sustainably. So, if you're a journalist and you tell stories for a news organization, but that news organization monetizes based on how many people click the headline, you're not supposed to write a story based on how many people are going to click the headline like the the headline should not be the thing that determines how much money you get for the story, but that is the way that it's currently set up, so people are. Uh, we, we get clickbait headlines, we get all these list articles, we get, oh, I'm going to put out 20 articles a day, I'm going to take somebody else's tweet thread, and I'm going to make that thread into an article, and just embed somebody else's tweets in the article. Um, same with music. Uh, I make money based on streams, not the amount of people that actually buy the album. So I'm going to make the song two and a half minutes instead of four, because if it's two and a half minutes and it's easier (laughs) to stream, I'm going to make a part of it go viral on TikTok, but I'm going to make sure the part of it that goes viral on TikTok doesn't happen until 90 seconds into the song. That way you've listened to at least half of the song and it counts as a stream, even if you turn it off after you listen to the meme part. Like it's, there's this deep, Uh, calculation behind how are we going to monetize? And it's very clear that the way that a lot of creative industries are being monetized aren't necessarily conducive to the most creative ideas or thoughts. And I don't want to get caught up in that machine at all. So I I am grateful that I kind of get to go sit on my own island and do my own thing
1: Wow. You know, I, one thing that comes up in these conversations that I have with creative people is the sort of inherent nobility in just the act of creation, whether anyone sees it, whatever it is. But I think that what you're doing um, in being so intentional in your, in your creativity and in your enterprises, I just think it takes it to such a great level. It's fantastic. Well done. Thank you. Um, when, you were, when you were a kid... When you were first starting out, was there a moment when you knew, like from what I know about you, you've always loved superheroes and, and comics and anime, and, but um, did you was there a moment, like an epiphany moment where you knew, I'm going to do this for my whole life, with my whole life? I think that there was a
0: moment where I realized that I was good. Like that, <laughs> a, a, a moment where I realized, oh, I might be good at this and I've never really been good at anything before. I kind of, I kind of want to keep this feeling that I currently have. Um, so I trained for four years at the Tupac Shakur Center for the arts um, as a part of uh kind of Tupac's legacy when he passed away, his family, uh, Founded a center in order to support young people uh, that kind of in their artistic endeavors in ways that they wanted to create. There's one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast. And I trained at the one on the East Coast. And I remember after auditioning for the program and making it into the program, it was uh, the day before. We were supposed to go in and kind of introduce ourselves. And based on orientation, I knew that there were a bunch of people there that could sing. There were a bunch of people there that could dance. And I couldn't do any of those things. And I was supposed to be going under the acting component, but I'd never like formally taken an acting class before. And I'm like, how, how do you show that off? And I didn't want to be the odd person out. I didn't want to be that person that everybody else has their technique or their thing. And then there's just you and you're just whatever's Tony, whatever Tony is doing, I guess. Um, so I was like, what, what, what am I going to do? What can I do? What can I do? And I thought, ooh, I can write. What if I wrote poetry? And I went and I got a spiral notebook just like this one from my basement. And I sat down and I was like, okay, write a poem. And I wrote one. And I was like, okay, if you only have one, they're going to think that you wrote this last night, Write Like 10 and you can act like you've been doing it for since the school year ended. So I wrote like 10 poems in a night. Um, and when I got to the program the next day, everybody was like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I write poetry. Yeah, I write poetry. I'm so, I'm so emotionally advanced. I write poetry. Um and they're like, oh, we'll read one, and I'm like, mm, did not expect it to go this far. Slow your roll, I what? I I didn't know that we were doing this. Um, so I read one, and they were like, wow, that's really good. Can you read another one? And I'm like, sure, because I have a notebook full of them because I started doing this more than 24 <laughs> hours ago. Um. So I read a second one and a third one. And by the time I got to the fourth and they're like, wow, you're a really good writer. You're really, you're a really good writer. You got some variety going on. there. That's a good portfolio. And I'm like, yes, yes. Portfolio, portfolio. Yes. And in the back of my head, I was like, man, if we did all this yesterday, imagine what had happened if you actually tried when you did things. And (laughs) that was the moment that made me go, right, (laughs) right. Keep, keep writing things.
1: It's so great to hear you say that. You know, I, I ask that question of, of, of every guest, you know, when did they first realize, and nobody has said, it's when I realized I was good at it. But I do think that that's kind of behind most of their answers, right? It's like, you know, you, you spend your life, especially your adolescence, just searching and searching, and the fact that you landed on the ability to create content rather than I mean, I'm sure you know actors. I've got friends that are actors. They spend their whole life at the mercy of whoever wrote the script. You write the script. Yeah. I love that. So... Uh, another thing I know from your bio is that um, from watching things about you is that you went through a, a rough patch in your adolescence. Certainly, I did, yeah. I did as well. And it's tricky. I've got a 14 and a 17 year old upstairs doing remote schooling in my house right now, but they're, they're at the age when I was, when I was at my lowest point. And, and, um, and I just wonder for you um, those Hard times, and then the and then, as you've gone on to pursue this career in art and creativity, um, when you encounter like the internally generated obstacles, the voices in your head that tell you that you're not good enough or that I mean it's funny a lot of different things come up like the um, imposter syndrome or success guilt, even like these things that that get inside of our heads and try and keep us from uh, succeeding. Um, what have you figured out? Uh in terms of ways to get past those to deal with those,
0: I think that for for me when when I was in my dark place, I was dealing a lot with depression uh I was dealing a lot with what i what i what I thought at the time was just my personality but was actually anxiety, which is a whole different thing to unpack like what happens when you find out that a a lot of the things about yourself that you identify with are directly linked to Uh, this negative personality trait or thing about you uh, and also uh, dealing with the attempted suicide and suicidal ideation. It was just really dark. And what I remember is that I was very sad um, that it was very difficult for me to find what would make me happy. Happiness just didn't seem like a possibility for me. Um, And I also felt Like there was something wrong with me. And when I look back and I reflect on those feelings, I think that the thing that allows me to kind of move out of it, and a part of the reason that I feel so passionate about telling stories that support young people when they're in a similar place, is because I have to remember that there isn't anything wrong with me. And I have to make sure that young people know that there's nothing wrong with them. And when I say that, I mean, uh, okay, I'm sad. Why are you sad? Well, I don't have a lot of friends. Well, why don't you have friends? Uh, Well, it's because there must be something wrong with me. Like, well, that's not particularly the case. Uh, Some people just aren't super social people. Some people are introverted. And I'm sure that you will have friends if you put yourself in the right environment or you find the right people. They're going to be mean people. Yeah but there are mean people everywhere. That's a part of the reason that we need friends. So we can go deal with the mean people when they pop up Um, that, that, that mindset, that mindset in general. Um, And the thing is like, really, I thought I didn't have friends, but I did have friends. They just weren't friends that I hung out with in real life. They were friends. I saw on Xbox live and play halo with for six hours at a time. It's like, have I met you in real life? No, but I, I hang out with you three hours every day, five nights a week. Um, It's like, I don't even know your name. But <laughs> I think that we're pretty close. We talk about issues and things like that. Um, I think that learning how to acknowledge that sort of stuff is valid was was really important for me. I think that the largest thing for me was the anxiety piece. I was just so afraid to fail. I was so afraid to fail. And as a result, I had my eye on what could possibly cause me to fail at all times. And I think that since I'm Black, it adds like an additional element to it as well. because. Uh, what some people are able to bounce back from society does not always allow people that look like me to bounce back from, um, it's like in the United States, people talk about literacy a lot. And the big thing about literacy is that if you're not reading on grade level, by the time you're in the third grade, uh, then you are 70, there's a 70% chance that you're not going to graduate from high school. Mm Uh, like, you, and, and my mom was a principal, my mom was an educator. So I was socialized very early to understand that, yo, the mistakes that you make right now can derail you for the foreseeable future. You, you can end up in a hole that you're going to be crawling yourself out of for your entire life. But learning how to think about myself and think about my worth and think about my value outside of those metrics, outside of what the education system says, outside of what uh my uh my, my capitalist production value is um learning just how to love me and accept me before any of those things i think that that's what was helpful for me and it's a process i still struggle with this sometimes but at a base level i think that's what it is
1: you're 26
0: years old now i'm twenty seven turned twenty seven a couple of weeks ago
1: oh happy birthday that's Thank great you. tony twenty seven three cubed right yeah yeah that's um, oh, man, I, I, I love it. It's funny. I really love, and I can't believe that at 27 years old, this is where you're at. And it seems like it's been this way for a while, because I was such a disaster, you know, until into my 30s. But you're so intentional about this. Like, you really, you you think about... Okay, just the fact that you're able to address your suicide attempt from your teenage years. You know, i i had a I had one of those at 14. It was really bad. Um, you know, I heard you describing yours about that you 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 surprised that you survived it or or whatever. I um the I wouldn't talk about mine till I was in my 40s. I think because I didn't want that to be the narrative. It felt shameful. And the fact that you're addressing it so head on, I, I, I mean, that's, again, that feels like it's intentional, right? That's something where you yeah. decided I can help people.
0: People need something to, people need someone to look at. And when I say someone to look at, I'm very hesitant to say someone to look up to because uh, I am not so arrogant that I believe I am the gateway for other people's salvation. I don't think that's what it is. I think that I am one piece or property uh, that can allow someone to collectively come to this epiphany that allows them to feel better about themselves. And what I'm really focused on is being that one piece in that larger puzzle that they put together. Uh, In The Uncommons, we have a character named Influencer, an Influencer is having a conversation with someone very early in the book because uh, the, the protagonist of the series, Iris, is managed to track him down because she's trying to save the world. And she's like, with you, I can save the world. You're a hero. An influencer says, uh, I'm not I, I'm not a hero. I'm a symbol. I don't save anybody. People look at me and then they get the courage to save themselves. They basically just use me as a sounding board for whatever they need to hear. They look at me to find what they want to see when they look in the mirror. And I'm kind of just there until they find it. When they look in the mirror, they'll look at me until they can look at themselves. It's not actually me. It's about them. It's a I, I am just a piece in this general thing. And when influencer says it, it's a little cynical because he's, because he really understates the role. Like, he, like bro, you have literal superpowers. You're a hero. Calm down. <laughs> um, but for me, I'm like, when I was in the dark, I didn't see anybody that it made it out of it. I didn't see anybody that. Had conquered it. And even when we think, when we talk about conquering it, I'll I'll say, I didn't see anybody that was transparent about the fact that hey, I've dealt with it and I'm fine. I still deal with it sometimes. It still pops up sometimes. I'm not sunshine and rainbows all the time, but even in that that's totally okay. I'm not sunshine and rainbows all the time, but that's still totally okay. Um I didn't see those things. So for me, I'm like I think visibility is a piece that's really important and I want to make sure that I contribute to that. And that's why I've been so clear about doing that and, and, and making that a a thing from the beginning.
1: I love that. Well, let's see. So you're 27 years old. And um, a lot of times when I ask guests, this question they're they're like me, you know, 50 year old people that have this just lifetime of, you know, the world beating them down and mixed in with glorious successes, whatever. But So I'm wondering about advice that, in retrospect, you might give yourself when you were a 21-year-old. But if you were to meet yourself in today's world, a 21-year-old version of Tony Weaver in today's world, what advice might you give him? So the funny part is that I wouldn't tell him a thing.
0: I wouldn't tell him a single thing because... The amount of stumbling that I have done is what's allowed me to end up in the places where I'm supposed to be. And personally, I hate that answer. I hate that. (laughs) I'm a very calculated person. I'm a very meticulous person. I would love to be like, hey, bro, look ahead in the story arc. This little side quest over here, you don't need that. Side quest over here, you don't need that. Don't go to just sleep. It's fine. Don't don't even spend the money. Just sleep. (laughs) But I feel like everything that I've done, every place that I've been, the things that I liked and the things that I didn't like have contributed to me becoming the person that I need to be in order to accomplish what I need to accomplish. Even things that I, so for example, uh, I went to a conference in 2016 that I really didn't like. There really, there was not a point, really wasn't a point for me going to that conference in 2016. I, while I was at that conference, I sat at a table for lunch With three other dudes, all in my age group, that were all like, Yeah, man, this kind of sucks. I hate this. And the trajectory of the three of us in the last five years, I've ran into all three of them at various points in time. And every time where I've run into the three of them, I've been very glad that we already knew each other because the fact that we already knew each other put us in a position to support each other at that time. And it's it's weird coincidences like that it's it's weird uh encounters like that that make me a little afraid to go man I don't want to change anything because if I was at that conference in 2016 and that happened where was I at in 2017 that's going to pull up and tap me on the shoulder in 2021 um i i i wouldn't change a thing and I wish that I could, because it's not like I haven't dealt with pain. It's not like I haven't dealt with feelings that I didn't want to deal with, but everything adds up to to become something larger than the sum of its parts.
1: I feel so grateful to have gotten to meet you and speak with you, Tony. This is so cool. I can't wait to wait to read weirdo i i think uh, I think it's going to be pretty great. I think you're, you know, there's the old saying about uh, the unexamined life isn't worth living. I think it's great that you're examining your life. You live a well-examined life. And um, man, thank you so much, Tony, for being on Wheels Off with me today. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all.